HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Most teenagers go to great lengths to be different from their parents. But my next guest embraced the idea of following in his mother's footsteps. I'll be talking with Giuliano Hezan today on A Taste of the Past. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And today, I'm going to be talking with Giuliano Hezan. Giuliano is the only son of Marcella Hezan. Marcella being, for those of you who aren't aware, the iconic Italian cookbook author and, for many of us, instructor. She actually really brought to me... Uh, brought Italian food more to the table for me. I had been living in Italy for five years, and when I moved back to the U.S. in 1973, she was the only person I could find who really wrote books that about food the way that I ate in in Italy, in Rome, in, um, in northern Italy particularly. And I continued to follow her and read her books. And then, lo and behold, along came Giuliano. And Giuliano, at age 17, he began working as an assistant in his mother's renowned school of classic Italian cooking. He committed himself to mastering the simple, genuine flavors of Italian cuisine. And now, more than three decades later, Giuliano is an author, teacher, entrepreneur, and one of the foremost authorities on Italian cooking. Welcome, Giuliano. Well, thank you very much, Linda. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say what I initially had thought to talk about when I saw your new book come out, and I will, I'm going to tell the, the listeners about that, and I saw your new book come out. It's called Hezan Family Favorites, and I'm reading about it, and I'm thinking, oh, that's so nice. It's family meals, and it's family favorites, obviously from sitting down with his mother and father at dinner, and I thought, this is a this is a topic that's been kind of needling away at me because I'm concerned about the erosion of the family meal. So I said, well, great, let's do a show on the importance of the family meal. Then I got to reading the book and I said, whoa, let's just do a show about 
passing down the baton and teaching kids how to cook <laughs> and, and learning all the great things. Uh, you've got it all in this book, and the book is called Hazan Family Favorites, as I said. They, it's a book filled with wonderful recipes, but as one reviewer wrote, it's yes, it's not so much a book of Italian recipes as it is a book about Giuliano's family with food as its parallel plot line. And I, I thank you for writing this book, number one. And Thank you. and secondly, um, what what are your feelings on the family meal today? Are, um, you obviously you just posted a piece in Zester Daily um, about this as well, and I was so pleased to see that because it was you know the topic of today's show that that there is there is definitely it has been I think for the past couple of generations an erosion of the family meal. Yes, I, I think there has and. Part of it may be that everybody's lives are just getting busier, and so it's it's easy, I guess, to let, you know, making, sitting down and eating together an important part of, of the day's schedule that you're not willing to give up. And not, often, si- no, often not often sick the, the kids. that's the part that gets given up. Right, you know, and not first. sick the kids in front of the television, right? You know, <laughs> and, oh, even worse, yes. <laughs> and... You know, of course, food was was very a very important part of my life. Always, um, my father, uh, as my mother said, you know, could put up with a lot of things, but but not a bad meal. And uh, so, when uh, when my mother and my father got married, that's actually when my mother really started thinking about cooking. Uh, before that, she was perfectly happy with uh, with a mortadella sandwich. I mean, not that. You know, she didn't appreciate good food. But But she wasn't always a cook, right? She wasn't always cooking all the time because my grandmother did that, and she was very good at that. (laughs) And uh, so uh, my mother said that uh, she would talk to my grandmother, and my grandmother would tell her how to make uh, some of the dishes that uh, my mother had grown up with. And uh, she wrote them down in uh, this notebook. And when I was working on this book, and I was asking my mother, well, you know, do you remember how Nonna Mary, uh, my grandmother, uh, would make this dish? And she said, well, yes, actually, because I have it written down. And lo and behold, she pulls out this 56-year-old notebook in which she had written down all these recipes. And uh, that was part of what I used to, to put this book together. And so while I was growing up, we always ate at home. Uh, actually, my father came home for lunch too, which was pretty much unheard of, uh, f- as far as you know the American lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, in Italy, at that time especially, everything closed down for three hours in the middle of the right, day, so right. that, uh, people could get together for lunch and, uh, and then take a little siesta afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so my father, uh, we, my parents were living in New York, and my father had a bicycle that he would use to get home quickly so that uh, he could eat lunch with my mother. And uh, I was in school, of course, but uh, dinner was always something that we did together. Mm -hmm. And so I think I just grew up with, you know, this was the way things were. And I I didn't even uh, consider not eating together. And, you know, hearing about, you know, friends of mine who... Uh, seemed like you know every member of the family ate at a different time, uh, just was foreign to me. Yeah, and, and it does. I mean, it, unfortunately, it 
it does happen, and sometimes it's unavoidable. But, I mean, even if you bring home a pizza, let's all gather around the table with the pizza and in the box and, and eat it together because it's a time – it's a time for so many important things, obviously. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to spend hours preparing a meal every right. time. Right. Uh, it could be something quick. Um, but on the other hand, cooking also is something that I'm trying to, to really make sure our daughters are a part of. Uh, not, th- not just the eating part, but also the, the, the preparation of the food. Right, and that's something that I, that I do want to spend some time talking about during the show today, too. Um, and what I want to fill, I want to fill my listeners in on the fact that your father is, he became quite an expert on Italian wines. Yes. Um, yes. And he, he, he himself did. wrote, he wrote a book. A book yeah. uh, oh, quite a few years ago called Italian Wine. And uh, was, I think it was one of the first books that really focused on uh, quality Italian wines. Right. That, it helped explain differences for me. I, I have, we, my husband and I bought that book way back when it came out. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, that's always remained a staple on our shelves. Well, you um, you really got into this cooking. We'll, we're going to talk about some of your experiences when you were little, um, to the point where you started giving cooking classes. And then in 2000, you and your wife, Lael, started your own cooking school, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, I was helping my mother out with the cooking school that she opened in Bologna um, way back when I was seventeen. Now, wait, so you you were born in you were born in New York. I was born in New York. Yes, and then the family moved back. Okay, when I was like two and a half, my parents moved back to Italy, and then we lived in Italy until I was about eight and a half, and at that time, uh, my parents moved again to New York. And from that point on, I pretty much grew up in the States, although I spent every summer vacation in Italy um, with my grandmother. So I kind of did grow up in both cultures, even after. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So then, so you opened uh, the cooking, cooking with Giuliano Hezan at Villa Giona in, uh, outside of Verona. Yes, Correct. yes. I'd always, uh, you know, for, for quite a few years, I'd been thinking that I... I wanted to open a school of my own, like similar to to what my mother had been running when I was little, well, sort of little. And um, so I uh, hooked up with uh, a wine producer in Valpolicella, Marilisa Legrini, and uh, an extraordinary villa that uh, she had just uh, become a partner in. And uh, they were doing renovations in it, and it had a space for a great kitchen. And so we... Uh, decided to offer a week-long course of, of uh, cooking and, and wine uh, appreciation and, and field trips to food producers, and, uh, and we've been doing it ever since. It's been very successful. Hmm. Uh, well, it's interesting you say that um, you moved back to the States when you were about eight and a half. You tell a wonderful story, and I have to, to tell listeners that the, this is indeed a cookbook, but it is peppered with wonderful stories about your life and growing up. And and you do talk about uh, the difficulties of not matching up with a lot of the other students when it came time to open your lunchbox. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, everybody else would bring home, bring to school a sandwich or peanut butter and jelly, which to this day I still haven't uh, uh, learned to appreciate, I guess. <laughs> and uh, my mother instead would... Uh, make i don't know meatballs with uh, with rice and tomatoes or she would make a veal stew um and she would put it in a the thermos for me and i would take it to school and 
I would get uh, I would get teased about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was rather unusual, and you know, I was having a hard time. Um, at, you know adapting because I'd come in from another country. Italian was my first language, so I was still uh, still learning English at that point. So I said, oh, no, I can't do this. And uh, But then I, I realized that I, I couldn't do the school lunches, and I really didn't want to do peanut butter sandwiches either to so that I would, you know, be like the other kids. So I went back to my thermoses, and sometimes she would make me sandwiches, but they they were not peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. It might be a uh, veal cutlet with, you know, some eggplant and, and baked tomatoes in it or something like that. I would have um, gladly had your lunchbox. <laughs> Sounds well, wonderful. Yeah, I think people did... Uh, did enjoy tasting my my food, and uh, when I would bring it to school afterwards, and the you know the teasing was was just an initial thing. It went away. <laughs> well, you have uh, your well, your actually your parents um, have relatives with interesting background, and all of this adds to I think the richness of of your cooking traditions. Tell us a little bit about the background of your your family background. Well, my uh, grandparents on my father's side were Sephardic Jews. They were born in Turkey, and they moved to Italy when uh, just after they got married. And my father was then uh, born in Italy. And uh, so they uh, had settled in Italy and were living in Italy and stayed there up until uh, just, just the beginning of Second World War when they uh, fled to the U.S. And uh, my grandparents, mother on my mother's side her family were italians originally but her father had moved to egypt and so she was she was born in uh, in lebanon actually hmm. and then grew up in uh, in egypt and uh, and then went back to italy to visit uh, to visit family i guess i don't know when uh, when she was a young woman and she met my grandfather there and ended up staying, and uh, and then my my mother was born in Italy, uh, because of that. But as I was going back and 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 thinking about the foods that I remembered having from my grandparents' tables, it was very interesting how there was almost seemed like there was an intersection of of uh, recipes of almost a culinary crossroads, because. You know, both my parents, grandparents, although obviously from uh, different backgrounds, had a, uh, I guess, partly Middle Eastern uh, influences that uh, ended up being very similar. And one good example is uh, a stuffed zucchini, that uh, recipe that I put in the book. Yes. Uh, stuffed with rice and meat. And, uh, and both my with grandparents used sauce. to make that mm. in you know, slightly, slightly different ways. Uh, and my grandmother on my mother's side used to make uh, these cabbage rolls uh, filled with rice and meat that she called makshi. Hmm. So it well, was, you, you you talk about so many of these um, these memories from childhood of your you know obviously your parents and meals and your mother cooking and your but your grandmother cooking as well. Now, who was the fearless friar as you called her? Oh, that was my mother's mother, my grandmother on my mother's side, and. Uh, my mother uh, would tell stories about how uh, during uh, during the Second World War they uh, they were on the Lake of Garda, 
And uh, if my grandmother was in the middle of frying something, not even air raids would uh, would stop her. She, <laughs> she, she would have to make sure she got all the pieces out before she would take cover. And, um, and she was an excellent fryer. Uh, and my mother learned to fry from her mother. And it's always been one of her specialties. And, uh, and that's how I learned to fry as well. And it's, I mean, when you were describing it, I could, I could taste it. If you, if you've never had a perfectly fried, whatever piece of meat or vegetable, the way you describe it, it is, it is the perfect fried piece. I mean, it's, we'll go through it. It's light. It's, it's airy. It's fluffy. Well, I think a lot of people have a misconception that fried food is always going to be very greasy and heavy. But uh, if fried properly, it, it's really a wonderful way to, to cook because it, uh, it seals the natural flavors of the food inside with this crispy uh, exterior. And uh, it's, uh, it's almost the purest way of uh, enjoying something when it's very well fried. Right, right. I mean, it, it's, it can be messy, yes, but don't be afraid. Be well, like a yes, fearless yes. fryer. <laughs> it does require some cleanup afterwards. But. <laughs> well, um, and, I, and you said when, you're, then when your mother, of course, took the baton, as I like to say, we, she got that from her mother, and she was in the kitchen frying, you had a special task as well. Well, I would help make the batter that she would use to fry uh, was a uh, flour and water batter. Very simple, but you had to get just the right consistency. So you would, uh, you would start with, with water and then add flour and whisk it in with a fork up until you got to just that right consistency, which is kind of, oh, like a, like a loose yogurt almost. And uh, so my mother would watch and tell me, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more, and that's just right, and that's how I learned to do it. Mm. So that was, and that, so in that sense, you then learned, you learned by her patience, and obviously that helped make you a very patient teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, I was going to say, and to what do you credit your your talents as a teacher? Because you've been um, lauded in many different articles about being an excellent teacher. Uh, is it this patience of being a child and learning, you know, step by step? I guess that was part of it. And, uh, you know, my mother was, uh, well, still is, um, yes. a very good teacher because that was, well, that was originally her profession before uh, she ended up she was a uh, science teaching Wasn't and she writing a cookbooks. She was professor a professor of science or something? Uh, well, she was a high school teacher. She hmm. taught science uh, and biology and uh, was very gifted at it. And uh, I don't know if you know the story of how she first ended up teaching cooking, but uh, it was uh, as a result of uh, a Chinese cooking class that she had taken in New York. And in talking with the other ladies in the class, they discovered that, uh, you know, she was a teacher. And then, you know, they asked her what kinds of food she liked to cook at home, and she said, well, you know, normal foods, and started listing the things that she would cook on a regular basis. And when she got 
home at the end of the the course she found on the back of her recipes a list of names and addresses with the title for Italian cooking lessons <laughs> and <laughs> and that's how my mother's uh, career food career started basically <laughs> well that's wonderful that, that you got a nice jump start into that well, and we're going to talk more about that when we come back after a short break Foods Market, we review each and every product that hits our shelves. Our cleaning products are no exception. Our EcoScale ranking system rates each household cleaner so you know what you're getting. Now, during Earth Month and any time of the year, learn more at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, welcome back. I'm talking with Giuliano Hezan here on A Taste of the Past. And uh, Giuliano, we we were talking about you learning to cook from your mother, uh, patiently instructing you to to whisk the batter. You um, you teach you cook with your daughters often, do you not? Yes, yes, I do. You know, whenever I can, I try to get them involved in preparing our meal. And uh, you know, what's interesting is that when they've had a hand in it, always much more interested and uh, eager to to try the foods. Mm-hmm. Now, my two daughters are actually kind of different in terms of uh, uh, their eating habits. My older daughter, from the beginning, has always eaten absolutely everything, and uh, she's never been picky at all. But uh, my younger one is a little bit more perhaps like most people's daughters. <laughs> and so she's been a bit more picky. But whenever she's actually has had a hand in making something, she's really much more interested in it and is much more likely to enjoy it. And so I'll have them, you know, help me prepare the vegetables. Have, they help to stir the risotto. Uh, and uh, I teach them how to use a knife well so that uh, I know that they're going to be safe. And uh, they really enjoy it, too. And it's, it, I don't know, just the act of cooking together is also creates a, a bond, I think. Well, certainly. Yeah, certainly. I mean, because you have to fill the time talking. You're close. It's sort of like, um, you know, that confinement is forced togetherness. So you have to find something to talk about during that time, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it gives them a lot more respect for the food that they Absolutely. are eating afterwards, you know, rather than just, you know, being called to the table from their computer or whatever and eating and then disappearing. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about mindful eating, about, um, as you just said, the appreciation for your food, looking at it, knowing where it comes from, um, that appreciation before you just you know, shove it into your mouth and and leave the table. And indeed, helping to cook, even if it's helping to set the table and carry something to the table. Exactly. Yeah, it gives that extra appreciation. I think that's so true. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, what? tell me about when you're you're teaching classes, do you teach only in Verona, Italy, or also teach in the United States sometimes? I know you do a lot of demos and things. uh, I only teach in Italy... Uh, twice a year for usually a couple weeks at a time mm-hmm. in the in the spring and in the fall. But the rest of the time, I I live in the states and I and I travel 
in the States, uh, teaching around the country. In fact, uh, later today, I'm leaving on a flight to Seattle to, for a West Coast tour. And uh, and then I also teach at home here in, uh, I live in Florida, in Sarasota, Florida, and uh, we hold uh, cooking classes in our home that are hands-on classes for small groups. Uh, and I have to say, I, the teaching is probably one of the things that I do that I enjoy the most. It gives me, I think it gives me maybe the most satisfaction, or at least, you know, immediate satisfaction. Well, there is certainly a, a knack to it, and not everybody has that knack. And when I said when I came back from Italy and your mother's books were the only ones that I could find that really gave instruction to prepare food the way that I'd eaten it, obviously her her excellence at teaching, the patience with teaching, it it translated into writing as well, because the writing, the recipes, the instructions were so... I want to say relaxed in a way, but very, uh-huh. very clear, very relaxed. And it was a pleasure to cook from the recipes. And I can see now in reading your books that this is something that certainly you have carried on. And the book, you know, it's, it's interesting. I look through the book and just if you just leaf through and look at the pictures, oh, they're all yummy looking pictures. <laughs> I guess the best word to describe it. It's not what you, you know, it's not one of these modern Italian cookbooks. Obviously, when you explaining that you found this 56-year-old notebook and started recreating these old recipes, indeed, a lot of these recipes are kind of old-style, old-school in a way, but are, mm-hmm. what I say, comfort food. Is that what you would kind of describe them as? Yes, it's, it's comfort food, it's, it's home cooking, it's not pretentious, you know. I, mm-hmm. I wanted really to, to write something that would... Uh, uh, entice people to to want to cook at home more and that was going to make it uh, easy and uh, n- unintimidating so that was really kind of my goal in in the book and so that's why the recipes are all very accessible and uh, and recognizable in, in some way you know it's something that uh, oh yes you know I, I can look at this and I know it's going to make me feel good when I eat it yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing well, it certainly looks that way. Um, and, of course, it, what's nice, too, is that there are some, as you said, you, you mentioned the, the stuffed zucchini with the different meats, almost uh, like a Eastern, Middle Eastern kind of, you know, uh, taste mm-hmm. and feel on that. Now you've explained why. And the, the, um, that there's so much more to these Italian dishes than pasta. However, however, everyone thinks Italian food. They think pasta, pasta, pasta. And there's nothing wrong with that. Is there? It's still probably my favorite thing to eat. Yes, yes. Do you have an all-time favorite pasta dish? Well, yes, actually. It's it's a dish that my grandmother on my mother's side uh, made, and it is uh, tortelloni. It's, it's square-filled pasta, and she filled it with uh, Swiss chard uh, and ricotta and Parmesan cheese and, and other things. But uh, it was... Uh, that so incredibly satisfying, and my favorite way to have it was with a uh, butter, onion, and tomato sauce that uh, my mother, I think, has become famous for. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that uh. is sweet and uh, just perfect. Oh. Very, very comforting. And so, when I was little, uh, the story goes that uh, my grandmother. Yeah, a rather large adult portion of these tortelloni, and that uh, I ate the whole thing and then collapsed on the table, making her <laughs> rather worried because she thought something was wrong with me, 
And um, she called the doctor, and at that time, in, in Italy particularly, they made house calls. He came over, examined me, and said, oh, he's perfectly happy. He's sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> Give him enough food, he'll pass out. <laughs> but it's still one of my favorite dishes uh, that I like to make, you know, for special occasions, uh, birthdays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and your students, do they? Is is there something that they request uh, if they've taken your classes multiple times? Is is there anything in particular that students request that they learn? Well, from you? you know, it's interesting. I I've had students who've uh, have taken many classes with me, multiple repeaters, and you know, ask them. So, you know, is there anything particular that you'd like to have? And amazingly, what they say is. Oh, it really doesn't matter at all. Whatever you want to make is fine. And they've gone as far as saying, I don't even care if you repeat the same thing that I've done before. Oh, interesting. Oh. Uh, it's uh, it's just learning. It's very gratifying. I'm sure. And just, you know, it's the it, it's just that soul-satisfying and, and having somebody there helping you and, and guiding you along. It's That is a wonderful thing to do. And I think getting back to cooking with children... Um, as I say, I, I like to say, how, how else can we pass the baton or, you know, or, or pass these traditions down? You have to involve the children with you. And you had mentioned that so much of what you learned, not necessarily instruction, but maybe even just by osmosis, as you said, just standing in the kitchen while your mother was cooking. That's true. I mean, uh, often I say I think that's really kind of how I learned from my mother, just sitting and watching. And uh, I... It's not that she made me sit there. I, I enjoyed doing it, and uh, I think I just absorbed, you know, a lot of the intuition and uh, and spontaneity and uh, and the feeling for the food that she had. Hmm. Do you have any first taste memories? So much is said about, you know, many of our memories. We can are are very poignant. The first. But the first memory of anything in particular is, is so poignant, and taste memories in particular. Do you have a first taste memory? Well, I think that actually it, it, it may sound rather odd, but it, it was uh, these fresh tomatoes that I had in a salad. It was in Italy in, in Arezzo, uh, in the central part of Italy. And I think... It, it had such a strong impression on me because I had never tasted a tomato that had so much flavor. Uh, it, it, it was rich and sweet in flavor, unlike any tomato that I'd had before. And for a long time, I just associated tomatoes with Arezzo. Hmm. Um, but I think that it's also one of the things that, one of the reasons why I like doing a school in Italy, because... The flavor of the vegetables that you get in Italy is still unlike uh, what what we can experience here. It's different. It must be something about the soil, the, the air, the air, or whatever. <laughs> well, th- and that's what I wondered if you had seen um, food quality or or variety change over the years. Uh, certainly, availability in the United States of certain um, Italian products has changed. But you really do feel there's just a difference in the taste of the vegetables that are from a farm, a fresh farm produce. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a huge Italy? difference. Uh, hmm. We we're lucky we have a uh, an organic farm here that uh, I go is open on weekends, and they they grow lettuces and and some other vegetables. And you know, it's really interesting. My daughters 
can immediately tell whether if when we're having a salad whether the lettuce came from you know Jessica's farm huh. or not uh, because the, it's the there really is flavor in it and it's it's very different from what you get at a supermarket which you know has traveled you know who knows how long and so forth right right and that in Italy tastes even better you feel right <laughs> that could be that could be emotional <laughs> well, <it's> too <laughs> right right <laughs> but uh, well, it, certainly, there's no doubt that uh, you know the in in Italy the the vegetables can be associated with a certain town because they have a particular flavor in that town the mm-hmm. you know the peas from Pisigia in in the Veneto are are famous they have a particular flavor the uh, the beans the cranberry beans from Lamon uh, also are known to have a particular flavor and uh, or the the asparagus from Bassano do Grappa it's in Italy, it's quite common for certain towns to be known for a particular vegetable just because it's it's so special there. Right. Well, it it makes it all, this should be a lesson to everyone, that it's worth it to wait for that farm-grown summer tomato because there's no taste like mm-hmm. it, whether it's from Italy or from a farm in your nearby area. Or and your back garden. That's right, that's right. You are making me hungry. It's lunchtime. <laughs> I have to go. Giuliano, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking with you. And I encourage our listeners to um, to take a look at Hazan Family Favorites. And your mother wrote a beautiful foreword, I might add. That was very, that was very loving. And, um, and check out Giuliano's uh, cooking schools at his website, GiulianoHazan.com. Thank this you, is, Linda. You're welcome. This is Linda Palaccio. You've been listening to A Taste of the Past on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook, And follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.